Hey, this is HK Perrin, and you're listening to Echoplex Media. Check out The Plex live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Pacific on twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. I'm dealing with people on a daily basis who are just happy to smear me dishonestly. I'm white and I've got everything I need. No one clutches their purses when they're in a room alone with me. American tune, and you're tuning into the Intellectual Dollar Tree. We do the show live every Wednesday. Is that what day it is? Wednesday at 7 p.m. Pacific, right here on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash Echoplex Media. If you're listening on the podcast, there's a whole other show you're missing. It is the post game. It happens, you know, after the show. <laughs> and you can get it by watching live uh, on Twitch or uh, at patreon.com slash Echoplex or at eplex.store. Membership at five bucks or above on either of those platforms gets you that in your inbox the day after usually the afternoon after because i do sleep in um other ways to support this project can be found of course <clears throat> at echoplexmedia.com click the support tab i've had a wonderful couple days off took off real early uh sunday right after we did the hour of the show and a couple days off i did read doppelganger by uh, naomi klein and i cannot recommend it highly enough well, if you like shock doctrine you'll like this book but it was a bit different than shock doctrine and um I'm not going to say much more because you should fucking read it. So <clears throat> this week we're back to Sam Harris, but it isn't really about Sam Harris in this one. One of the people we haven't really covered is Russell Brand. And so here's a uh, Russell Brand and Sam Harris talking to each other for a very long time. And I'm sure everybody's going to be really glad that I did this to, to you. Um, this should be fun, right? Fun. <laughs> 
there, you awakened wonder. Thanks for joining me for a very special episode of Stay Free with Russell Brand. It's our conversation with Sam Harris, the intellectual neurologist, writer, and thinker, creator of the Waking Up with Sam. Okay, uh, neuroscientist, not neurologist, but also he's not a neuroscientist anymore either, and it's perfectly fine to be a talk show host. Sam Harris is a talk show host. Harris app. He gives away some fantastic free memberships to our community. So stay to the very end and become an awakened wonder by pressing the red button at the bottom of your screen right now to experience things like that. Now, of course, this conversation has already gone viral, particularly for those of you that watch it on Locals. You can watch these things first if you are an awakened wonder and a member of our Locals community. Now, if you're watching this on... Uh, This is like paywalling your fucking conversation with somebody and, and then giving it out for free a couple days later so just a whack way to make money youtube the first 15 minutes will be here but then i'm going to click over exclusively to the other place when we start talking about trump rfk and the rise in populism this has gone viral for a reason because it was a great conversation but if you stay all the way to the end to the bit in locals you'll see that we meditate together and even after quite a hot i'm so glad that we're not going to be able to watch uh, be able to i'm so glad that we're not going to have an opportunity to watch them meditate together. Um, and real quick, this happened before the allegations on Russell Brand dropped. So keep your eye out for, um, you know, just anything. Just keep your eye out for either of them saying anything stupid in light of the new information. Find peace together. Also, there's a fantastic episode of Here's the News where we look at Biden's new drug negotiations and whether or not he really beat Big Pharma. You won't believe Kamala Harris's grandstanding speech and how it contrasts with the muted regulations and legislations that have been passed. Outrageous claims there. You're going to love it. We had to get it through a Republican Congress, Brendo. Let's move straight into our conversation with Sam Harris. Remember, if you're watching this on Rumble, give us a rumble, press the red button at the bottom of your screens right now and become an awakened wonder like the people that are watching this live that's how they do those screen grabs and let it go viral on twitter or x are you calling it x yet let's welcome sam harris to the show thank you for joining us sam harris you beautiful man what the shit what, i don't know an ad quite worried about it i'm not sure you and i would view the remedies in the same way. How do we get beyond this cavalcade of my experts versus your experts, my flag versus your flag, by acknowledging that we are all an expression of one unitary force? Oh, they're going to do... Oh, no. And I, Sam will go down this road with this guy, too, where the the, the solution to our problems is, like, hyper-individualized. It's like a, um, it's like a fucking... Like, it's like this horrible neoliberal thing that, that, that the guys at Conspirituality actually talk about, where you you fix yourself and and then by fixing yourself and becoming awake and aware you somehow fix the world they're gonna and sam will go down that road with this guy if that's where this if that if he does that sam harris will go down this road with this guy because sam harris preaches a version of that with his fucking meditation app and shit Mm. Mm -hmm. there's a methodology by which we would resolve those differences and this shattering of our information space is making it very difficult to apply that methodology. The thing that I intuit is we are on the precipice. I always get mad when people who are really rich have the same mic as I do, and I'm talking about Sam Harris right now. Precisely because it isn't profitable. Uh, Have a little look around the the, Wuhan laboratory for infectious diseases and check out how it's funded and how it's regulated. But but, but Sam, more important than that, mate. I'm saying these are are domains of relative knowledge. 
Do you agree we should start by addressing the most powerful interests in the world that seem to benefit more than ordinary people? Energy companies benefit when there's an energy crisis. The military industrial complex benefits when there's a war. We have to address this. The, let them get the, the idea that like that you're saying anything interesting, uh, by the way, this is like his supercut of the interview. We haven't even got to the interview. It was that fucking dramatic music and shit behind it, but you're not really saying anything interesting that the people who build the, the machines of war benefit when the country goes to war. You're not saying anything. Like it, you, would have to, you would have to be stupid to think that's not the case. I, I, I think that's like obvious. It's so obvious you shouldn't even say it rich right and, and if, if you have no have, okay. no i know this is wrong this i have to uh, contest this sam thank you for joining us sam harris you beautiful man happy to be here it's great to see you russell when i met you you uh, i remember in la you introduced me to Hiron Gracie, who became my yeah, uh, yeah. BJJ teacher, as long as along with my teacher Chris Clear over here in the. Of UK. course, he does jujitsu. Purple belt in Brazilian jujitsu. You still roll in? Fantastic. No, I I have not rolled since COVID. Actually, yeah, since I mean, I I was I was racking up a bunch of injuries, and just I you know it, at some point it seemed like a choice between aging somewhat gracefully and not you know i just was getting neck injuries and hip injuries and so i just i mean it's, it's, and through no fault of heroes obviously i mean he's he's the perfect person to roll with it's just i was and it's just gravity at a certain point is not your friend yes you know, so. wait a minute no 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 wait 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 it's no fault of the no fault of the teacher of mine the bjj teacher he kept injuring me but it was no fault of the guy who kept injuring me who's supposed to be an expert all right dude but it, I, it's, it's just one of the great losses of my life that I'm I'm not currently rolling. And I, I keep fantasizing about going back. <laughs> I need to get a, a sample of him saying I'm not currently rolling. Because to me, it sounds like I'm not currently on Molly. Uh, it does it does worry me to go back. How, how have you been holding up? Are you, how's your body? Pretty good. Like I, Right now, my knee hurts a little bit, my left knee, and my left shoulder hurts a little bit. What I try to do when rolling is very near the beginning of the session, establish a rapport with my opponent that I hope will translate into them on some level holding back slightly. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, listen, I, I was, at some point I was only rolling with Huron, right? So, I mean, obviously he has And is that when you started getting injured? The critical support to this guy's uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu teacher, I suppose. He can he can win at will. So, um, I mean, it's the, he was the perfect teacher and, as you know, and and uh, grappling partner. But yeah, it's just bad luck. I, I ascribe it to bad luck and uh, bad genes. Mate, as this online space continues to evolve, the relationship that you have with Jordan Peterson, where two people with opposing views, uh, with perfectly valid perspectives on... What did they, just the, when you, they talk about this stuff, when they're like, oh, you and uh, Jordan Peterson had opposing views, the only thing they substantively disagreed on was religion. Whenever we watched them talk, that was the only place they would disagree. On both sides has somehow been mapped onto the entire internet space, but perhaps without the congeniality and goodwill that I assume exists mm -hmm. between you and Jordan. I, I wonder. Yo, him and Jordan Peterson don't fucking talk anymore. He ditched all those weirdos. He was like, "Listen, I may be a weirdo, but I'm not that kind of weirdo." Ah, but maybe he's maybe he's like, "Ah, oh, maybe I am that kind of weirdo." Because look at where he is now.
what your fears are as we increasingly increasingly find ourselves in some irresoluble cultural polemic that seems to be fueled in irresoluble cultural cultural polemic uh, by a will to impose, centralize, uh, uh, to, to accrue authority, to defeat without grace the opponent. How do you feel about this advancing space? And how can we engage in conversations with people we don't agree with in good faith? How can we take mm. on board the views of those we disagree with? And Oh, uh, this, this is, here we go. This is the kind of thing that I would be tempted to score as bad faith. One of the first things you need to do if you're going to have a conversation with somebody you don't agree with is assume that they believe the things they're fucking telling you. And then work from there. Because whether or not they do, they said the shit they said and you're talking to them. I mean, can't, otherwise you got to try to read their mind advance a mutual conversation or do we just accept now that centralized democracies such as america and the uk are finished and we have to start moving towards decentralized cultural and political models because there's just too like what? much agitation elsewise The little pause there is great. Finished, and we have to start moving towards decentralized cultural and political models because there's just too much agitation elsewise. Well, I, <laughs> yeah, I share your concern about all this. This is something I'm quite worried about. I'm not sure you and I would view the remedies in the same way, but I'm just going to sketch out what I think the, the remedy is. Um, I think we need to collect develop the ability to to worry about more than one thing at a time right so what I, what I keep confronting are people who focus on one part of a a troubling dichotomy uh take um the tension between censorship which I know you're worried about and misinformation right now I would acknowledge you know that, that free speech is is almost an intrinsic good it's certainly the the best best error correcting mechanism we have and that we should protect it at almost any cost certainly politically and yet there is this tension between misinformation and and really becoming uh, waking up in a society that's one day ungovernable on the basis of misinformation but that way we just cannot converge on a fact-based discussion about anything because people are so siloed into their delusional echo chambers and on the other side our efforts to correct for misinformation, which increasingly look like censorship and increase and increasing their intention with the, you know, the, 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 again, the, the almost intrinsic good of free speech, which we protect much better here in America than, than you do over there in the UK. Um, so what I'm continually finding are people, you know, we can talk about the left and right poles of the political spectrum as a as shorthand. It is not perfectly accurate now, but, um, people on the left and the right can only focus on one of these bright, shiny objects at a time. Wait, what? They're only worried about misinformation or they're only worried about censorship. They're only worried about wokeness or they're only worried about Trumpism. They're only worried about, uh, you know, respect for tradition or, you know, innovating on everything. Right? This is what happens when you like refuse to talk to your critics because he would find actually that people who have been highly critical of him and he would probably call those people the far left if he actually spoke to those people that they're not like, we're not like hyper concerned on just misinformation. We're also concerned uh, with 
like how to stop it without, um, you know, basically imposing fucking the thought police or the speech police, even on social media where they generally have the right to do that. I still think it's a bad idea. So there's the, there are all of these things that are that represent trade-offs that, that where there it's not a landscape of of very clear distinctions between right and wrong and good and evil, but we, where we just have to figure out how to tune things and uh, you know or a trade-off between individualism and a commitment to the common good, right? I mean, like if you if you privilege individualism above everything else, you you begin to lose your ability to create a society that any sane individual would want to live in, right? So if like if we respect your right to put smoke in the air above everything else, we have undermined my right to breathe clean air, right? There is a trade-off here. There's a, some amount of regulation I have to impose on you so that your enterprise doesn't fuck it up for everybody. And so there, again, there's, there's a tension here. And what I continually find, I mean, it's, it feels like 95% of people can focus on one problem and can't dignify any uh, mention. He's also just, just basically calling the populace stupid. I don't think the populace is stupid. I think most people are pretty smart. Of the the opposing trade-offs with uh, even a single sane sentence, right? And that and that's um and our and our online space has devolved into a in, you know a, a polarized conversation about this landscape of trade-offs. I agree with you that these media silos are contributing to the inability to take on the perspective of the opposing side. And I think that no one's more guilty of creating these spaces than what are commonly, colloquially known as mainstream media spaces. Just today we were looking at a broadcast on MSNBC where it was openly posited and quite enthusiastically so that were Trump to win the election in 2024, that he would immediately declare himself president for life and therefore any opportunity to indict or indeed imprison Donald Trump will be lost forever. So nothing less than the future of democracy hung in the balance in the 20, forthcoming 2024 election. Now, this was the claims that were being made in a space uh, specifically on MSNBC and in particular it was uh, uh, Rachel Maddow. And I feel like it perhaps would be more beneficial if what you want to encourage is a rational discourse to engage in, uh, to present rational arguments and in particular to be candid, open and utterly transparent about the shortcomings of the side that you yourself advocate for. If freedom of speech means anything, it means the freedom of speech of your opponents. And I think we've seen over the last few years. Wait, OK, so what? So you somebody you don't agree with politically said something you don't like. Well, you sh you're OK. You're just you then at the end, you're like. Oh, well, freedom of speech for your opponents. It's like, yeah, well, that's what just happened. So it's all, all gravy, baby. Terms like misinformation, malinformation and disinformation enter the public discourse, not solely because there are now miracles around communication and technology that mean anyone with an idea and a rhetorical flourish can reach pre previously unprecedented audiences, but also because these new models precisely mean that to centralizing and controlling uh, any particular narrative is almost impossible. And the veracity of opposing information mm. is difficult, indeed difficult to verify. I completely agree with you that we can't have single issue orators governing our space with sturm, drang and bombast. We do need to Wait, encourage... But, uh, to some extent, isn't Russell Brand kind of a single issue orator engaged in bombast? His single issue is just like a reflexive contrarianism. 
right? He there's not a, there's not a lot going on in his analysis. It's just fairly bog standard ref, reflexive correction, uh, reflexive uh, contrarianism, like you might find on any weirdo's Substack. You, that's what he just described himself. We do need to encourage, I would say, inclusive discourses where people are, as I said in my initial question, are deliberately favouring the views of their opponent, willing to see where they can concede, willing to accept that my freedom may at some point impede on your freedom. What am I willing to sacrifice? Now, these ideas are precisely the kind of things that I turn to meditation. But I feel like these are the kinds of this, this thing, like, what are we willing to sacrifice for the common good? I feel like a lot of these things are, are like already decided issues, right? Like, we have like really old sayings, like my ability to swing my fist kind of ends at your face or your body. Essentially they, we say your nose, I think in that one, but like we can sort of apply that in a, a broader sense. And then, yeah, there's some push pull there, but we've already kind of decided the things that we're willing to sacrifice. Like generally when you get down in the weeds, sure. There's things where you and I even, and people in my chat are going to disagree and people who listen to my podcast generally agree with me are going to disagree, but on like, the real, unlike the big shit, I feel like we've kind of all agreed, or at least it's been decided. I don't know if I individually agreed to all of the big things. I guess that's a different question. I mean, I know that you're here in part to talk in depth about your meditation app, which I uh, I admire and I love and I use. And I feel that this precisely this kind of access to inner terrains that might provide us the ability to move beyond these spaces. One thing I'd also like to uh, challenge, if I may, is that this, these left... Wait, what's the question? What is this guy talking about? The distinction between left and right evol uh, devolving into periphery versus centre, to use Martin Gurry's terms there from his book, mm -hmm. Revolt of the Public, yeah. is significant. That what we have now is anti-authoritarianism versus authoritarianism. Yeah, we have a fucking, we have a, a two-dimensional chart that includes that, friendo. <laughs> and I feel that once that gets mapped into a meaningful political system, it's... Yo, it's been mapped into like a chart that we've all seen over and over and over again with another axis that doesn't tell the whole story. But like what, dude, we've already, that's already on a, you could go like, Go to some internet website that you have to log into with Facebook. It'll steal all your personal information and put you in the bottom left corner if you're generally a fan of my show, I think. It's going to mean, to a degree, the devolution of power, further federalization, and an ability for communities to govern themselves. I said a lot there, Sam, but I know you can handle it, so um, please let me know what, what that uh, yeah, yeah. provokes. Yeah, no, I would I would take that that reframing, certainly up to a point that, you know, as I said, left and right don't really cover the landscape very well at this point we have a two we have a, a chart an x y sir we have an x y graph but we have an x y and it's not even a very good like measure and so there is this this anti-authoritarianism I, I would say and, and, and there's a contrarianism there's an anti-establishment bias now both on the both on the right and the left there's a a distrust of power there's a distrust of institutions um and it's understandable because our institutions have have failed us in in obvious ways. Certainly, they have they have um, they've proven themselves at certainly at moments untrustworthy. So the loss of trust is is understandable. But uh, what I would say is that the corrective we need is not to tear everything down. We need institutions we can trust. We need to figure out how to reboot our institutions so that they are trustworthy. So well, then, friendo, why'd you leave academia to have a talk show? 
and go be a Mr. Atheist man. Maybe uh, be the be the change you want to see in the world, friendo. You have the qualifications to get right back in, I think. That they're worthy of trust, and so that people actually trust them. And what I'm worried about now, given the the online tools we have, and the democratization of everything, and the and this almost a, you know a, apocalypse of of contrarianism is that even if we had trustworthy institutions across the board we couldn't get a majority of people to trust them on any one point certainly not a point that is that is politically polarizing right so if we have a new pandemic uh how do we get 90% of of people to trust the 90% is just too high a number mainstream medical message about what is what the facts on the ground really are and how do we how do we get people to trust government public health organizations as they give us up to the minute information insofar as they know it and again actually i think it's one that's one of the problems that one of the things that the public health organizations did wrong was try to give people up to the minute information the, the basis for distrust is totally understandable because we witnessed one pratfall after another during COVID. But what, what I'm like saying what, is Sam? we need to get to, we, we absolutely need, and to speak locally in the U.S. now, we need a CDC that we can trust. We need an FDA that we can trust. The fact that we can't, we feel that we can't trust these organizations is absolutely corrosive to the, the maintenance of a, a healthy society. And it's certainly- But like the problem is, you know how, like, on uh, the down ballot on our local news show, we talk about how people have an incorrect perception of, like, the crime rate, for example, in San Francisco. Violent crime San Francisco isn't even in the top 20 in the U.S. But if you ask people who are, like, consumers of, like, local news, they're going to tell you that San Francisco violent crime is out of control. And so I think that there's a little bit of that going on here where people don't trust institutions because influential people like Sam Harris and, like, uh, thankfully losing his influence, Brett Weinstein and Eric Weinstein and Russell Brand and Joe Rogan are all telling people that nobody trusts the institution. So it's like a, it's like a fucking ice cream cone that licks itself or something like that. It will put us in a position to fail once again, to respond intelligently to the next pandemic. And I, what I worry about, again, what my concerns about COVID have apart from the first few months when no one really knew what the hell was going on. Um, my concerns about COVID have always been that it's a kind of dress rehearsal that we were obviously failing, right? And 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 I worry that we're not learning the lessons of that failure because dr- people don't tend to die in dress rehearsals. But all right, dude, I know he's trying to do a metaphor here, but it's a bad one. It's all, it's just inevitable that we will one day have a pandemic that's quite a bit worse, and we we'll need to be able to respond with with uh you know with coherence. Um, and learn to cooperate. But if it's a, the problem is if it's a new disease and people are kind of clamoring for information, then <clears throat> the scientific community is going to want to give people actionable information and they're going to get some of that shit wrong. Uh, scientific community and public health officials are going to get some of that shit wrong along the way. And if, if the shit happens again, people need to understand that. People need to understand some of the stuff you're going to be told is going to be wrong, but if it's going to be wrong, it's going to tend to not be harmful wrong. It's just going to be waste of your time wrong. A lot, because a lot of what they got wrong was like waste of your time wrong.
yeah, at a global scale. And I'm not sure we're we're putting ourselves in a position to do that. I do recall both in our nation and in yours, Sam, an incredible moment of goodwill at the commencement of the pandemic period where people in sort of intuitively understood that we were facing something unprecedented and that indeed the principles of every measure, whether it's masking or lockdown or medications, is human life is, if not sacred, I, I'm aware of who I'm talking to, certainly valuable in a somewhat unique way, which if not sacred... I, li so I like sacred. <laughs> let's let's go with sacred, sacred with then. me without apology. Because if yeah. it isn't sacred, we're going to have to work out what the hell it is <laughs> that makes but it. But does it have to be sacred for me to just not want a bunch of people to, to die of a disease? Like, I don't have to think human life is sacred. It's like, do you want a bunch of people to die of a disease? I'm like, well, no. If the other, if the other option is no, then I'm just going to take the other option. For, right. so worthy of even if it's, I'm just truly selfish and don't want my friends dying of the disease of this conversation uh, and that uh, the, any personal imposition is as nothing compared to our collective value and our joint duty to protect the vulnerable but of course what we saw and this is just a few points I'm tracking and I, I know that you're a busy man but I'm sure you're broadly aware of the kind of media that I engage with and convey is like the mm. Albert Baller CEO of Pfizer said it would be reprehensible if there were any profits made by Pfizer and I think we all know that there were profits made by Pfizer that the uh, that their that their legal indemnity for any potential vaccine injury caused a lot of suspicion. The very fact that the FDA is significantly funded by the pharmaceutical industry causes a great many people concern, skepticism, and cynicism. There are figures within the CDC, NIIH, that have, have a uh, well. This is to uh, one of our viewers here on the locals platform. Primal Collins says, you know, that to get the kind of trust that we require, you would want no revolving door between corporations and, in this instance, big mm -hmm. pharma. And, and but then. What is the individual in this industry supposed to do when they go work for a regulator and then they go get if they get fired, if they go work for a regulator, they're a pharmaceutical, they're, they're, their background is in pharmaceuticals. Like you think about this person because we're like they're saying no revolving door. But what about somebody and then they're not, you know, they're not poor or whatever because they went and worked for a regulator and now they're working for the pharmaceutical industry, but they're making one twenty five, one thirty a year. Like, shouldn't they be able to, like, maintain that lifestyle? If just they just lost their job at, at, at in the government they they can't go back and work in the pharmaceutical industry i don't understand i think they shouldn't then be allowed to go be a fucking lobbyist but i don't think that that means they can't go work for like a pharma company and if you are right, and you know who's, and it's sort of certainly across infinite time, you 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 are that there is another that there will be another pandemic. I suppose personally, what I would want is a real transparent, candid mea culpa about this is how we handled it, this is what we did wrong, this is what we'll never do again, this is what we exploited, this is how it was handled incorrectly. These were people that were shamed that shouldn't have been. That should never have been said. These companies should never have profited. Moderna should not have. So. So we should put him in charge is what he says. These are just all the things he wants. And I'm not even sure these are the things he wants. These are the things that like he knows his audience wants him to say. Invested in by a person. And also, uh, if you don't know what the Gish Gallup is, look up the Gish Gallup. Because let's say that instead of Sam Harris here, he had like a real critic on somebody who was going to be real kind of rough on him. This guy's going to make like 10 fucking claims and you can't do anything with that. There's nothing you can do when somebody does 10 claims. It's I see uh, Juco's in the chat. It's like when Scientology comes up and starts uh, asking an investigator questions. I'll just ask like six questions in 20 seconds. You can't do anything with that. You're like, well, fuck.
Now the Prime Minister in the UK set up a hedge fund that um, funded Moderna. Uh, none of those companies should mm. have profited from a disaster of, these of this nature. Certainly public politicians shouldn't have been partying during a time while the rest of us were uh, locked down and we must radically... But these are all like individual events and one of them was a politician. It was a Boris Johnson who threw a fucking party like during COVID. Yeah, that was an asshole move, but like that like that it's so weird because some of these things are like completely disconnected from one another it's not really weaving any kind of narrative except that things happened that russell brand didn't like uh some some of the some of the things that public health officials told us were wrong and um a dude had a party when he shouldn't have like they're these aren't like really connected there's no narrative there the uh, the ability that Big Pharma has to influence policy, because I recognise that no one's going to trust uh, they're going to trust these government medical agencies until that's remedied. If they if that kind of conversation took hmm. place, I think that the answer to this is like if you want me to respond to which one, <laughs> right? Because that's like the that's like otherwise you're just like you're just chasing fucking twenty. You're like trying to chase twenty balloons as they're all going up in the sky. You're only going to catch maybe two of them if you're lucky, right? Yeah, that's like what the gish gallop is. It's like somebody lets a bunch of helium balloons go like right next to you, and you got to try to catch them all. That that would go some way towards it. Do you think that's a possibility? And do you think that's a fair assessment? Uh, I agree with the spirit of that. It, it it would be hard to fashion a mea culpa so comprehensive that it satisfied everyone who was waiting for it because i think we're, we're going to as a society we're going to disagree about what the facts are still so we're not in possession of the same set of facts like if i were to ask you or your listeners how many people they think died in uh, in america or the uk from covid right i think we would we would see something like a a bell curve distribution of of assumptions and we would, would find it very difficult to agree, even just about that simple, you know, propositional claim, just how many people died from COVID, right? We're, we're suddenly going to have a conversation about the difference between dying from COVID and with COVID. And can we, you know, and were people perversely incentivized to report deaths that were, you know, one versus the other. Um, but what you pointed to in your, in your comments about pharma there are uh, a set of perverse incentives that we have to worry about. I mean, so the profit motive in pharma is something that you, many of us, or probably all of us, when we look at it, are uncomfortable with. Um, okay, so we overthrow capitalism, or we not? Well, then we nationalize it. Right now, they're complaining. Well, the government runs pharma. Pharma is run by the government. Like, there's no making any fucking any of these people happy. Like, even so, I mean, the right solution probably is to nationalize it. Um, but there, these people, it's not like Russell Brand and his audience are going to be like happy with that. Right? <laughs> I'm like, oh, now the government controls it. But it's also not clear how to incentivize drug discovery in a way that works, that, 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 that dissects out that perverse incentive. Right. So, yes, I, I was, I'm, it was totally uncomfortable with the idea of, of you know, a pharmaceutical company enjoying windfall profits during a pandemic and racing vaccines to market, uh, knowing that billions of dollars were, you know, waiting to hit the cash register. Is that what happened? What wrong with that. And that, again, this is why. So bake into this is the, is the assumption that these vaccines are just brand new and came out of nowhere. That's not really true. There's a lot of work being done on MRNA vaccines for, um, coronavirus type diseases. So that work was built upon. They didn't start from scratch.
why we need an FDA and a CDC and other regulatory organizations we can trust. Uh, and your revolving door comment is, is totally valid, uh, except the issue is there are only so many ex domain experts, right? So what what sort of jobs do they get when they when oh, they? Oh, that's trained? the same question I asked about the revolving door. Good job, Sam. I agree with Sam here. I don't even think domain experts. I just think like people who are like working, you know, working class. And I know, like I said, 120 or 130 a year. But if you live in San Jose or San Francisco or L.A. or Portland or Seattle, you know, you're doing well, but you're still working class. That means you have to work for your money to live. So what about those people? That, that's, I don't think Sam thinks those are people. Transition, right? And who do we want to be doing this research when and and to be and to be uh, deciding about regulation apart from people who know all of the details of this research? Um, and you take I mean, take a simple case. But let's take it off COVID for a second because that's so highly politicized. But take the fact that we we as a society desperately need to create a, a new generation of antibiotics, right? We have had, we've you, for as long as you and I have been alive, we've lived in this, this bright, shiny moment where uh, infectious disease has been radically curtailed by, by us having a, 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 a very solid armamentarium of antibiotics that work, right? If, if the first antibiotic doesn't work, there's one behind that. And there's one behind that. And there's one behind that. But, in right but the, then okay so you in th if things are progressing slowly or whatever then you uh, now oh, great we have another one now you add that to the end of the fucking train and maybe you take the first one off the beginning of the train at some point because it's become so much so many uh, bacteria are um, resistant to it that it's almost ineffective but you just add one to the end of that train and now you have now you're you're fine again right like it's it they it's this fucking it's this idea that because when we read about the history of science and um, technology, I think when we're younger, it all happens like, oh, in this year, this was discovered. Well, not really, <laughs> right? It wasn't really just like all of a sudden some man, some great man, and it's always a man taking, taking, probably taking credit for the work of a whole team. No, they were probably working on that for a while and other people probably had something similar going on somewhere else and they were sharing information with, at least in, at least in modern times, like since since maybe like 1900 and i may you know we could set that point kind of wherever but this isn't this isn't how this works these things all happen slowly the last i don't know 25 30 years or so we have witnessed the, this growth of antibiotic resistant bacteria and we know we don't have a good pipeline for developing new antibiotics the reason why we don't have a good pipeline is because the, the, the drug companies can't be appropriately incentivized to do the work and, and to spend the money to develop these drugs because this next antibiotic, you know, the seventh antibiotic in line, when all the other ones fail, when you get some weird lung infection, right? Uh, and, and you've gone through six antibiotics and they haven't worked and we got one left, right? That, that, that drug whose name no one can pronounce, that is a drug that maybe you will take once in your life for 10 days. Right. It's not like Prozac where you're going to take it for the rest of your life or Viagra where you're going to take it. It's, it's something that that most interesting choices are never going to take. And the, oh, those of us who are unlucky enough to need it will take it once for 10 days. Right. So there's not enough profit in this thing. And it takes a billion dollars to discover this drug. Right. And bring it to market. Yeah. Um, so how do you get companies to do this? And what and 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 if, if we were going to make governments do this, how badly would they handle that? project right so you see like that's again, the thing is i knew it like as soon as like okay well 
I mean, unless we just fucking do like that fucking Posadism with the dolphins and shit, which I don't even know how that works. But if we, unless we, anything short of that, if we're going to have vaccine development or new drug development, it's going to be the state or private institution or private, private business is going to be funding it. Those are the two places that even the, the universities, even public universities, they're getting money from to do any of this research. So magical third funding source. This is, this is why this, this stuff falls apart because they're the, the point isn't so much like, Oh, well we should be doing this differently. And here's a couple ideas. The point is, well, we're doing this wrong and it's everyone's fault. It's everyone's fault, but mine. And in Sam Harris's case, he's got a little of that Eric Weinstein going on where he thinks everybody should probably listen to him. A, a problem of incentives and trade-offs, and we have to figure out how to untangle all this in a way that preserves public trust in institutions. And it's, it is a hard problem. It's astonishing to me that it was once the role of the left to offer very ag aggressive critiques of those kind of models, and now they are entirely bereft of them, whether it's on the subject of war or the sort of immersive and disruptive power of big pharma. It no longer Wait, seems to be there, you know, whilst I, earlier on I did offer a, a uh, alternative to, that, to those labels as we discussed. It seems to me that... Like, I, I'm on the left, and I don't... Uh, this, this feels weird. I feel like I'm arguing against like a caricaturized version of what he thinks I should do based on what he's decided my belief system must be. Like, like, how do you even, like, if I, if he had me on and he's like, oh, the left is supposed to be critical of these things, I'd be like, well, um, uh, what? Like, why, what, what the shit are you talking about? Like, why, like my, like the way I decide what's true and false isn't like based on this guy's caricature of what, what I must believe based on the fact that I'm a leftist. What a fucking crazy thing any attacks on the militarism particularly you know with regard to ukraine russia conflict and uh mm -hmm. the, the the role of pharma and corporations more broadly seems to be coming from the right and that's just sort of extraordinary for me with my own particular political and cultural heritage um and i also like yeah. to add while i've got this opportunity that i take neither prozac nor viagra on a daily basis it's at most okay. once every other day a chance would be a fine thing yeah. um well that was a joke youtube now so if you're watching us on youtube YouTube, please uh, click the link in the description to join us on Rumble, where I'll ask, be asking Sam Harris about the popularity of figures like Donald Trump, about whom he has spoken extensively, and Robert F. Kennedy. Why are we seeing this rise in populism? If you want to see how Sam's going to respond to that question, click on the link. Also, Sam's going to be giving away access to his uh, Waking Up with Sam Harris meditation app, which is fantastic. So join us over. <laughs> Imagine on paying on for a trust fund baby's meditation app. Conversation and consider becoming an awakened wonder where you get access to all sorts of additional content and for a limited time only a pair of underpants which i will be offering you in a moment or two sam but first i, I want to Wait, get what? your perspective on the rise of populism and what that suggests about the uh, decline in establishment trust which we've touched on i feel like you know like trump's a runaway leader in his own party i feel like 80 percent of republicans want to vote for trump and something like 19 or 20 percent would vote for rfk in spite of the lack of mainstream media coverage of his campaign. So you have a significant number of Americans from across the political spectrum, narrow though I would contest that political spectrum is when you consider what's possible if you're a regular meditator. Uh, <laughs> He's trying to be like, we meditate. We're both higher, higher beings than other people. Again, this is this idea that you get and the spirituality guys talk about it a lot better than I do, where you just have to be on a higher vibration than everybody. And if everybody was like you, once you get to that higher vibration, 
then all our problems would be solved. Just meditate. If you meditate and I meditate and everybody meditates, they'll all, they'll all be on a higher vibration and everything will be great. And uh, that's stupid. About how bereft we've become of alternatives and what new ideas, what new conversations and what new alliances need to emerge in this new media space and how this could evolve into new political movements. But perhaps if we start with uh, what you think underwrites the, uh, the sudden surge in uh, populism, that, you know, whether it's left or right wing. This sudden populism, by the way, literally means uh, becoming popular. Could you guys, there was a sudden surge in populism. I mean, I, like, what is he talking about? Hmm. Well, I think there's two. There. <laughs> Sam, he's like, do I have time to meditate before I try to unpack that sh that shit? Like, I think I, 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 I think Sam wants some of Russell's audience because Russell's audience is bigger than Sam. But I can kind of like his face. It looks looks like he struggles a little bit after Russell finishes talking. One is this silo in into echo chambers that that has been enabled by you know the internet broadly but social media in particular I, I think it's it's possible to stay in a silo now in a way that it simply wasn't a few you know a generation before even though yes there, there was a, there was an opportunity to have your biases enshrined in just how you decided to to use the media you know in the past but it's, it's just gotten worse and worse to the point where there's almost no Darwinian corrective to misinformation and lies now. Like you really can swim in an ocean of lies for as long as you want, and nothing from the outside is going to intrude, or, or certainly need not intrude. And so you have these hermetically sealed spaces of of, of information and misinformation. And so we're not we're not um, converging on anything like a fact-based discussion about anything of importance now. And so you take somebody like Trump now, who to my eye is, um, it's, no, it's not an exaggeration to say it. He is the most relentlessly dishonest person we have ever seen in public life. I mean, he just lies at a, with a, at a velocity that uh, doesn't even make any sense, right? He does. I mean, not, most of many of his lies aren't even self-serving, right? They don't serve his purpose. It's just, it's just this automaticity that he distorts the truth. Um, you know, he'll contradict himself in the span of thirty seconds, and he has cultivated an audience that simply doesn't care, right? They, this is not an audience that. It's funny because he's sort of describing Russell Brand and his audience right now too likes him despite his failures of personal integrity it's an audience that mostly likes him because he is this chaos machine right that he's this, this kind of wrecking ball that is swinging through our institutions and our and our uh, our political norms and disrupting everything and you know so the question really is why do so many millions of americans want to see everything disrupted in this way and it does it does come back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago about you know, the distrust in institutions, some of which is, has been well-earned. Um, I think the role that wealth inequality and a sense of loss of opportunity is playing is is, is, is rarely remarked upon. It's amazing to me how little... Yeah, nobody ever talks about wealth inequality ever. On either side of the political aisle, that we grapple with the implications of, of wealth inequality now. And I, so I think that's, that is a certainly a variable. But um, it's not... It's not a straightforward one. There are a lot of people who are not, you know, not at, at the bottom of our economic uh, 
strata that that uh, you know support Trump or support the the disruption of everything uh, and support this kind of populism uh, on the right. Well, I think people that are more powerful actually just support the narrative about the disruption of everything, because if 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 that keeps people paranoid, then folks in power can just go about their business, and then people are paranoid about shit that isn't happening, and so maybe they don't even take a look at who's actually in power and who's um who's pulling the strings and shit. I don't know. Um. I mean, for me, the so the bright line with Trump and whatever you want to say about his character, and I've said many things about, you know, I've banged on for hours about Trump to the boredom of of, of, of millions. But uh, it's not the subject matter that makes you boring, sir. For me, there was a bright line that was crossed that I think everyone who cares about the future of democracy uh, and the maintenance of of uh, American democracy in particular uh, should acknowledge. And it is this. We had a sitting president who would not commit to a peaceful transfer of power, right? And repeatedly, he he refused to commit to a peaceful transfer of power. Is he going to avoid bringing up J6 where they stole a door? Because not only did the guy like not agree to a peaceful transfer of power, whether or not he uh, personally directed his followers, a non-insignificant number of his followers were involved in or supportive of the attempt to prevent the peaceful transition of power at an administrative level with force or in the run-up to the 2020 election. And lo and behold, we did not have a peaceful transfer of power um, based on the lies he told about that election. Now I, you, you can dispute some of this, how, you know, a partisan who, who believes that the election was stolen from Trump, which for which there is no evidence, um, you know, to the contrary, what was happening is he was trying to steal an election all the while claiming it was being stolen from him. Believe that aside, even a partisan who believes that the election was stolen from Trump has to admit that in the run up to the election, literally, literally six months before the election was run, we had a sitting president who would not commit commit to a peaceful transfer of power. Now, that single act, I, I would say it was so corrosive. It was such a violation of, of our most sacred political norms, our most sacred and useful political norms. I mean, I, I agree with him. I just think he's using way too many fucking words here. He it would have been he would could have just stopped at this guy did not commit to the peaceful transition transition of power, regardless of the results of the election. And he could have stopped. Norm, right? To to uh, this is something that even Ronald Reagan, right? You know, somebody who you know used to be a darling of everyone right of center. Acknowledge. I mean, the, you know, he said this is, is somewhere in the, you know, I think the late seventies. He said, you know, the greatest miracle of our country is the peaceful transfer of power. It's the thing that makes us the envy of the world. It's the thing that that if you're sitting in some, you know, developing dictatorship uh, outside America's borders, it is the th- basis for your envy of America, or at least it was traditionally, that we could accomplish a peaceful transfer of power every four years, despite our political differences. This is the, as far as I know, this is the first time in American history we had a sitting president who would not commit to a peaceful transfer of power. And so that was such a dangerous desecration of our political landscape that I think it should make it impossible to support Trump. Uh, Whatever else you think about any other political figure, whatever you think about Hunter Biden's laptop, there's nothing else that rises to, the, to that level of concern. And uh, that's that has, has always been 
at the center of my argument against against endorsing Trump in any way. This is what I feel is comparable. And whilst you know the sort of ongoing questioning around the Biden family business deals, I'm sure to anyone who's already encamped within one of those partisan scenarios will just cling to their own rhetoric and their own pre-existing beliefs. This is what my response is, which is like live tautology, actually, because I'm going to give you the response now, is that now Biden is in office and this inequality is continuing and this polarization is continuing and we are not seeing anyone say, look, we got carried away with Russiagate and that's probably really damaged your trust. And over the course of the pandemic, we've seen a lot of shifting. But who is we got? Because <clears throat> the only people I saw getting fucking just that lost their fucking minds during the investigation into uh, Trump and uh, Russia was uh, uh, many of the people who are hosts on MSNBC and a lot of people on Twitter who had like a little blue wave next to their fucking name. <laughs> Most people did lose their fucking minds, but there was, it's not that there was no there there, there were indictments and the, 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 the final report was just said, we cannot indict a sitting president. This is up to Congress. Like, that's not nothing. But to be fair, like, uh, Rachel Maddow basically burned her fucking career down uh, during the, this investigation. And we have not been as transparent as we ought to have been. And our lack of trust in institutions, as you have said, Sam, is something that needs to be addressed. And I recognize now that this ongoing war between Russia and Ukraine is hemorrhaging popularity. And many of you... <laughs> This ongoing war is hemorrhaging popularity. You know what I like? The popular wars. <laughs> like the wars where the historians look back and go, oh shit, all them dead people, this was fantastic. What does he mean the war is hemorrhaging popularity? Is this the humanitarian war that many claim in order to stop the criminal Putin? Or is this like so many other American wars, like the one in Iraq, like the one in Afghanistan, like the one in Korea, like all American wars up till now, actually motivated by unipolar objectives, a, a globalist corporate agenda, the advancing of the interests of the military industrial complex, an explicit plan for BlackRock to rebuild Ukraine post-war. What the shit? Your tax dollars are paying for it. And the only person that, <laughs> and be it empty oratory and yet more lies, you know, I, I would, you know, I recognize what you, you know, what you're saying about Trump. And I'm certainly not going to try and change your perspective on anything like that. Because for me, none of these figures are the answer. Radical systemic change has to be immediately discussed. And we have to acknowledge that what's happening in media has to be replicated with what's happening with politically immediately we have to find ways of altering our systems of governance and having the maximum amount of dem democracy and access to power for ordinary people rather than this yeah yeah this guy's gone on for so long now i forget what is like he's like i have three points i want to make and then after i'm going to give a three minute speech in your mudslinging i would say that the only person or one of the few people who's willing to say this war must end is donald trump if i was to extract the name and the face donald trump from his rhetoric around the war and how he would bring about a diplomatic solution i would say this is the only person who's talking sensibly and i just but it's easy to say you would bring about a diplomatic solution if you were in charge when you weren't in charge right do you think that like the, the president or people in the administration or people in our intelligence services, et cetera, et cetera, haven't been trying to do either like diplomacy or shadow diplomacy 
to try to put a stop to this? Do you think that that none of that nobody's doing that? Like, what does he think's going on? No, about does do should Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin have a three hour long form podcast to talk about this? Like, what the fuck? What the fuck? What happened in 2014 in that coup about what Putin has publicly said about if uh, if you know, if there's any infringement on Crimea, about the complexities, about ethnicity within Ukrainian territory, all of that. And with great respect and love and solidarity and support for those suffering in Ukraine and for the half a million that have died in that conflict so far, for me dancing closer and closer to the apocalypse with dubious motivation, claiming once again that it's a humanitarian endeavor seems outrageous to me. And the fact that that, that for me, the uh, helping listen, <clears throat> everything great about fucking, you know, everything great about Ukraine. No, is their leader, the fucking best thing that ever happened. No, um, should, a, a powerful country and their allies try to help a country that's being invaded by a much more powerful country. Huh. There's an argument for yes. And there could be an argument for no, it just depends on what's going on. Like what's, what's, what's the rest of the, you know, what's the rest of the field at play? Like if it was China that did that, there might be reasons why we wouldn't, why America and our allies would not try to help mostly because like they made everything that I'm using to speak to you right now. Right. Every goddamn thing in here, except maybe the sure mic might be made in the USA, but everything else in everything, like, because you can't do that. You can't, you can't sever your relationship with the store. The fact that this is the alternative is a much bigger problem than anything Trump has done or said, because I do see him as an outlier, as an extraordinary public figure. But I see him primarily and above all else, a response to institutional corruption, entropy within our institutions. Notice how he said an extraordinary public figure. He didn't even say anything about him being like a blowhard or a bigot or like impulsive or like a fraud. He didn't say any of that. It was an extraordinary public figure. When Biden is able to meet with his donors and say nothing will fundamentally change when he succeeds Trump and as he does succeed Trump, you know, for all of your concerns about uh, the, uh, the, the lack of a peaceful transition, I would say that is the problem. You know, if it was Donald Trump dies tomorrow, where are we? Addressing the kind of systemic problems that I'm I mean, I don't know, dancing in the street. <laughs> with i think would me trying to figure out where his grave is going to be so that we can go piss on it meaningfully alter the dilemma that you and i are trying to tackle hmm. well I, I i certainly have different priors than you do about the, the war in ukraine right so for instance left out of your analysis is what the ukrainian people themselves say they want right so you this, this is a, an autonomous or you know what it was an autonomous country uh, it was attacked by their neighbor, right? And certainly it seems that most of the people in Ukraine were not eager to be absorbed by Russia. They were eager to maintain their autonomy and their, their sovereignty as a, as a society. Now, I don't consider myself an, an expert on Ukraine. You know, I've gotten up to speed more or less as everyone else has in, in recent years. Uh, I've spoken with ex, you know, purported experts on my podcast several times. I, you know, somebody like Timothy Snyder, who takes a very different view of this war than than you just articulated, uh, very pro defend defending Ukraine view, um, and other people like Ann Applebaum, and you know, I mean, these are people who are who are subject matter experts 
But, but those um, people are shells. Your point of view and the point of view of your audience, and certainly Trump's point of view, they're part of the blob that would be arguing for this war in the first place. But I would just make a few simple points. One is we're not fighting this war. The Ukrainians are right. We are arming them. Right. So it's different than having American boots on the ground fighting this war. Um, and I would agree that that is a bright line we really should not cross. Um, the other point here is that I think we this is a, a once again, a domain of trade offs where this is there's not at every moment clearly right and wrong answers to these very hard questions. There's one trade. There's a trade off between giving in to nuclear blackmail and the whims of an authoritarian psychopath. Uh, and not giving in to it and holding the line again, even in spite of threats to, uh, you know, usher in the, the end of the world, um, to hold the line in defense of a rules-based international order. Now, where, whether we get that right or not is of some consequence, right? I, I, I would argue that it is worth worrying about what Putin's going to do with his nukes, give it, as the temperature, uh, increases over there. Uh, but it's also worth worrying that giving into nuclear blackmail sets a terrible precedent, right? Um, so how we navigate that is um, is uh, using diplomats, um, often possibly referred to as the deep state. Again, it's it's hard, and you what you want are uh, not impetuous, no nothings, steering the ship at that moment. You want actual experts who understand the history of these ki kinds of conflicts and yeah, Russell doesn't like any understand of this everyone's relevant capacities and lack thereof what understand what's likely to be bluffing understand the incentives and not understand what's oh you mean those same experts that got us into iraq like putin's likely to do next um and still that's not a science that's an art. And we should be very, you know, the, the bigger picture here is we should be very worried about the nuclear status quo. The fact that we have a world that is for as long as we've been alive rigged to explode. Uh, forget about intentional nuclear war. We have a we have a world that can explode on the basis of. Well, yeah, I mean, this is the most that's the thing is like, of course, you end up agreeing with Sam Harris sometimes when he talks to Russell Brand, because this is like the most bog standard shit in the world. It's like, hey, when you deal with this, it's complicated. And there are people with a lot of experience dealing with Russia. Not only do they have a lot of experience, maybe they have contacts in both Russia and Ukraine. Yeah, there's all kind of back channel shit happening. I've seen burn notice. I know what's going on. Of, of you know, misinformation and act and just sheer am too has seen burn notice. Just just radars that malfunction it, it can it can steer us into a nuclear conflict. Um, it's terrifying, and it's something that we have to figure out how to address. But it, to treat Putin. Like he's just a normal actor with rational interests who we can deal with like any other, uh, you know, leader of a of a free society is just not accurate. He is a person who murders his political opponents. He murders journalists. He's not a normal he's not a normally corrupt politician. He's an autocrat and we and he's an autocrat who's armed with nuclear weapons who threatens to use them. Uh, it's something that that we have to we have to treat as categorically different then we would treat a disagreement between us and France or the UK, us being the uh, being America in this case. I, I can I do have a concern that pathologizing the opponents of the hegemony 
as maniacs, whether that's Trump or Putin, is a shortcut to looking at some of the complex historical arguments, and just notably including. Yeah, he's not going to even respond to the the, the guy. Like <laughs> we have a joke in, in uh, during red light. Anytime like a Russian oligarch dies, we have a joke that they their plane got pushed out a window. Like it's so common for like uh the uh, like rich people and who uh, either maybe are rich and are against Putin or are rich and uh, turn on him to have their plane pushed out a window. <laughs> like, and the journalists have been, yeah, when they, they report too much and shit, yeah, they're, they're gone too. Is it Putin specifically doing it? Probably not in each case, but Russell's not going to respond to any of that. I think he either like missed it or knows that he can't because if he tell, says what he thinks about that, he's like, yeah, that it's actually really bad to kill your political opponents. Because, like, on one hand, he's going to kind of be my hand. He's probably not going to even respond to the killing of the political opponents. But I guarantee you, he talks all the time about how, oh, Biden's trying to put Trump in jail. The infringement upon the not treaty, but deal between the former Soviet Union and America not to infringe on former NATO, NATO uh, territories. And of course, the rights of the people of Ukraine are incredibly important is, is after all them that are living and dying and their intentions are in, uh, and their desire about their national sovereignty is utmost in everybody's concerns and considerations. And like whilst you cited the people you had conversations with, I would cite, um, you know, sort of Jeffrey Sachs, who came on here with a couple of other Pulitzer Prize winning yeah. journalists. Jeffrey Sachs. Who now would be lucky if they get a job on the internet with this curiously altering online space and media space. And what I feel has to be our um, shared obligation, if indeed what we want is to bring people together who have currently opposing perspectives, is to critique and address the systems rather than the individuals involved. Russia is a unique country, as perhaps all countries are, with a unique history. And this is a tr truly, uh, this truly has the potential. To Wait a minute. Wasn't he just a bit ago talking about the Biden family's supposed crime ring? Aren't we? Uh, should we be maybe we should criticize the system instead, sir? A global conflict and should be handled with extreme caution. And I would suggest that we have to be open to the possibility that the declared incentives and intentions of uh, uh, American unipolar interests are distinct from their actual interests. Privately, it's pretty clear that people, it's been acknowledged that the Ukraine counteroffensive is not going well. I think it's pretty plain that the military-industrial complex asserts incredible uh, power over the direction of American... Right. We, <clears throat> so this is... And, you know, I'm all for the idea of, like, big structural change to the extent that we can have it. But... This guy's like ignoring the field of play as it sits and be like, well, we, I, wouldn't we just be better if the field of play was better? Well, it's like, yeah, I guess so. But it would also be better if I had a bigger studio or if I lived in San Francisco instead of the Burbs or like if I had uh, 30,000 live viewers right now instead of just 30, like the field of play is the field of play. So like to once you because they're like talking past each other here because all Russell wants to talk about is the things he claims are systemic and pro the systemic problems and the fucking military industri industrial complex. And the thing you heard from Harris here was like, well, here's the field of play right now. He just, just described what's going on and editorialized some sure. But he just kind of described what's going on. So like, well, this is what's, this is what's going on. And, um, people have to make decisions based on what's going on. And, 
A lot of them decisions are fucked up. That old damned if you do and damned if you don't, that statement doesn't come from nowhere, right? It isn't, it, it, it like literally means something. And it's an important thing to think about is damned if you do, damned if you don't. Foreign policy. And I say that I would address this precisely how I would have looked at the conflict in Iraq. Who is benefiting from this? What are the relationships between military industrial companies? These are, but the United States was dropping bombs and sent people into Iraq. This is different. And they weren't, nobody invaded anybody. Well, the U.S. invaded somebody. We weren't going, like, maybe a better comparison would be the Iraq War One, where the United States bombed Iraq to try to get them out of Kuwait. And there were oil interests there. We had a friendly relationship with Kuwait. And, like, that's a better, now it's not perfect, but it's better than the, the, than the Iraq War the Iraq war two flicks and then Cheney Bush war for bits. And now, you know, the hue and flag and mule and elephant may have switched, but I see the same subcutaneous interests apparently running the show, but subcutaneous means under your skin. Like part of what we're discussing more broadly now, Sam, is that you could bring a host of perspectives and opinions. And oh, this is the, they got to the, isn't it great that we're having this conversation, part of the conversation. Hooray. They got to, isn't it great we're having this conversation. That's got to be on somebody's bingo card. You have a great deal of academic heft in your own particular area of expertise. And I uh, not really. He's a talk show host. He has a PhD. Well, I don't know if PhD is a PhD. He's a talk show host occupy an, an entirely different space and, and my intention is I, I don't think that either political party is the answer i don't have any alliances that i'm the thing that i intuit right but if you're in the united states you, and you're voting for president or congress except in a few like special cases in congress where independence can win um you just got you got two choices um and we're not going to fix that before the 2024 election <laughs> is we are on the precipice of new models that allow us to forego the well, needless... Like this, is, this is the dawning of the age of Aquarius or whatever. ...irresoluble cultural conflicts that are currently dominating this space. I feel we have to get beyond uh, our, our judgment of one another for uh, individualism, whether that's from a right-wing libertarian perspective or a left-wing identity politics perspective. I think we have to find a new way to... Okay, so identity... Everybody does identity politics. That's just politics. Like... <clears throat> Think, think of any political movement, be it outside of or inside of the system, and then try to try to find one that is not based on the identities or the collective identity of a group of people. Just try to find one. Think about an oil oil company lobbyist, right? Well, there's boards of directors of oil companies, and those are people. There we go. Fucking that, boom, identity politics, because that lobbyist is lobbying uh, representatives based upon the boards of directors of oil companies see like it's all everything's identity politics this is a stupid way to talk about it Navigate these spaces so that we can start addressing the truly significant issues that define our times which may be sort of apocalyptic regarding regardless of how you uh, approach this apocalypse because that too would have a cultural flavor yeah I, I, my concern is that the starting point for addressing any of those problems is a fact-based discussion about what the problems themselves are, right? So for instance, if you think climate change is a hoax, right? And someone else thinks climate change is one of the most pressing problems we have to address as a society, 
somebody's wrong right i mean there's you know there's there's a and it's a, and there's a there's a methodology by which we would resolve those differences and this infer this, this shattering of our information space is making it very difficult to apply that methodology I actually feel that even something as complex and uh, hotly contested, <laughs> ironically, as, as that issue. No, no, no. It is not. Even polling in the United States ain't too fucking, ain't, 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 ain't very close to 50-50 on whether or not it's happening, friendo. It, the, the, the polarization is, do people want to... Do people want the government to take action? That's where the polarization is not. Is it happening and is it man-made? Could be resolved with this type of dialectic. Do you agree that when looking for solutions for problems that affect all of us, we should start by addressing the most powerful interests in the world that seem to benefit more than ordinary people? Always check what the measures are that are suggested in order to solve these problems. If the measures are we are going to impede the freedoms of ordinary individuals as a priority, we are going to tax ordinary people more highly, that is going to engender cynicism. And even the way the problem is described, I think most people people like particularly in our country conservatism the, the the sort of the right wing political movement is environmentalist they want to conserve the environment england's green and present pleasant mm. lands most republicans are nationalist we can find ways of not like bludgeoning people with like my science versus your science why did the inventors of mrni vaccines well but now you're changing the subject why and why did the inventors oh no this is, this is all over the fucking place massive gish gallop this guy's gish gallop game is on point it's all a good game gish gallop Johns hopkins experts get censored why did these experts flourish you know instead of going on and on ad infinitum about that so we are going to have to live on this planet together it appears that there are a set of interests that continually benefit from crises energy companies benefit when there's an energy crisis the military industrial complex benefits when there's a war or when there's not benefits when there's a health crisis we have to address this we can't have an ongoing system that is punitive to ordinary people with every single advancing crisis that has to change otherwise you're going to have ongoing cynicism and people ordinary people with that this is the worst description of disaster capitalism i've ever heard in my life different livery but have ultimately the same interest attacking one another while nothing significantly changes mm. in a sense i think we have to find careful ways of molding the clay of the argument with the intention of resolution oh you could try scientology they do that weird shit with the clay to make you scream other than the intention of winning that i think might be an important way that you and i for example could contribute yeah it's, again it's it is truly difficult i mean what you're talking about are the effects of perverse incentives and it is it is sir say capitalism to my knowledge no one has figured out a, a way to categorically clean this space up right so again i'll come back to the the very simple and, and non-politicized example i brought up uh, a few minutes ago D developing the next family of antibiotics right this this that's is not non-politicized if a new antibiotic came out there'd be antibiotic people it is apps it is massively resource intensive right it costs a billion dollars to bring one new antibiotic to market how who do we incentivize to take the, to that risk many of the most of these drugs don't pan out right so you're you're a company like pfizer i would say we need a company like pfizer to do that work 
right? The alternative is to say the government should do that work. Now, the, the very same people who who recoil from the perverse incentive of you know windfall profits to Pfizer when we have a, a you know when we have a pandemic are, so are some of the same people who will laugh at the prospect of of entrusting the government to develop our next generation of medical therapies, right? Well, I said that earlier too. There's this well understood. Well, they'd even they they wouldn't just laugh at the idea the government could do it. They'd say that it was a fucking conspiracy principle that the government was up to get you now instead of Pfizer motive and the free market are the best among all the terrible ways to incentivize people. They're the best ways we've discovered to incentivize creative people to get up early every morning and make the personal sacrifices they have to make. So why do you have to get up early to do that? We need them to do to produce these, this new knowledge generation. And if you think you're, and so, there's some trade-off between uh, g- remunerating people for the risks they take and and the and the and the and the work they do, and allowing, d- despite the despite the obvious possibility of weird incentives, allowing for people to get spectacularly wealthy when they get lucky based on their own intelligence, right? They 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 produce something that's immensely valuable to us, a new antibiotic. Yeah, but you're wealthy because your mom was the uh the producer of the Golden Girls. That's even more lucky than somebody who did a who did a smart. And we should let them get rich, right? <laughs> and and if if you have an alternative to that, well by by all means uh express it, but I would- to my knowledge, we haven't found one. I would like to express an alternative, but also outline a few things within your hypothesis. No one is conducting that research at Pfizer precisely because it isn't profitable. So this tells us precisely the mentality that governs at Pfizer. And when indeed there is innovation. Right, right but you're just now he's just redescribing the problem. He's continuously just redescribing the problem that those people over there are corrupt. That's his Everything he's saying is that those people are corrupt. These people are corrupt. All these people are corrupt. So, I mean, yeah, there's fucking corruption in organizations. Uh, They're made of human beings. Some people are corrupt and some people, they get into an organization and the organization's dysfunctional. And that person becomes corrupt as a function of being in a dysfunctional organization. All right, dude. Like you've been taught. That's all he said over and over again. The same fucking message. You might find that it came from BioNTech in Germany, who were funded by the German taxpayers. And you might find that Pfizer's profits were Mm. garnered by charging the American taxpayers who paid for that Pfizer, uh, apparent Pfizer innovation, but actually a BioNTech innovation anyway. So what I would say is you wouldn't, it's not like the government, you get a bunch of giddy, silly, owned, revolving door, civil servant corruptos in on the gig. No, the way that Pfizer would fund universities, the way that Shell Oil fund our exhibitions, you would fund at the level of taxation in response to referenda, in response to a mandate derived from the people of America or the country of relevance and say, we want to spend this on developing this new antibiotic that we believe is going to help people. It's not going to be profitable for Big Pharma. You saw how those guys carried on in a What the year, shit? Right? So something needs to be radically reevaluated. So I, we should go vote on whether or not the government is just going to research a specific drug that doesn't even exist like how do you even like how would you even fuck it 
as sensible public intellectuals and true leaders are offering you an alternative. We're going to, in fact, offer a one-time windfall tax that takes back the profits from Pfizer and Moderna. We're nationalising those companies right now, and we will pay for our fine academic academies at Stanford, John Hopkins, yeah, Yale, the, Oxford and Cambridge to do... Yeah, that's the problem. Is like, First of all, I, I mean, under the US Constitution, I don't think you can do that. I think that kind of stuff's been ruled unconstitutional. But like people like Russell Brand's audience would freak the shit out if if that happened. His research half of them probably don't like the idea that if they're to the extent that he has an audience in the UK, half of them probably don't even like the fucking NHS. And when it works, and by God it will work, you will benefit from it. Not Pfizer, not Moderna. You, the good people of America, mark the X in the box. We'll make sure we count every single vote. That's what. That's what. That's what I would suggest, Sam. But the very fact that that research isn't okay. But you, the United States doesn't. I don't even think the United States has a system by which you can do a national referendum on a, a federal law or a federal policy. I don't even think that system exists. I don't think it's within our system of government for that to happen. Undertaken, okay. of course, identifies the glitch in the machine that has to be addressed before all else. Well, well there, there is a glitch there. The, yes, the, the market is... Hold on one second. I've got to silence the phone here. Sam, we can use this opportunity to transition to the next part of our conversation. Oh, look, he's, he's like, let's, uh, let's, after I said something fucking stupid, he's like, I'm going to actually, we're going to move on, actually, now that you've gotten up. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the. Actually, Russell, I, I, need to make, I need to make one point because I think it's very important. There, there's a very strange double standard that we all feel in this space where we think it's somehow morally appropriate for someone to get spectacularly wealthy when they create the new iPhone or they create a new, that. you know, block, but that was funded well, by the well, government is that was funded by taxpayers. That tech, I don't think that's right either. Mo they're, they're next most on the list. Most and people. Google, okay. All of them. Okay. But unless you're, unless you're going to stigmatize wealth itself or private property itself, unless you're a communist, Gargantuan most wealth. people have this not double communism, standard. Not, not, no, okay. no, 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 this is wrong. This is, I have to contest this, Sam. Okay, I'd say Google was funded by public Like, this is awful. I love okay. this. So is iPhone and they, the public should Russell, own it if they pay for it. Let me just it. lay out what I, I think most people, most people feel this. Most capitalists feel this, that there's a, a difference between getting wealthy by by if you're James Cameron and you create, you know, the Terminator franchise, right? Um, that's okay to get wealthy doing that um, because we all want to see, you know, fun movies every summer, right? So, so what could be wrong with that? And yet, the person who cures cancer shouldn't get wealthy, right? There's something corrupting about about getting wealthy. In well, the, the idea that one into that one individual is going to cure cancer. Cancer is an umbrella term for a. a a number of different diseases it's not just one thing so i don't think that's really how that's going to shake out i think it'll be incremental there will be people who win nobel prizes for their work as cancer research and um treatment evolves this of uh, a, a true benefit to humanity right the person who's running a a, uh, a global relief organization that's responding to famines in Africa, that the CEO of that charity shouldn't be making $5 million a year. But, this, but the CEO of, of General Motors should be, because how else are you going to recruit them? And what we Wait, what? have with that, dis with that double standard, we systematically recruit less talented people 
to solve our most pressing social and 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 uh, scientific problems, right? Uh, so we 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 no, because Sam. we give every we give every smart. Let me just let me just land the plane here. We give every smart per college student a forced choice between getting rich by working for Goldman Sachs or following what might might in fact be their their ethical vocation into philanthropy but making a, a an obvious economic sacrifice at the outset no matter how high they get in the organization running you know care or you know uh, doctors without borders they know they're not going to get rich because that there's a taboo around doing that and again this, this is an incentive problem i think we probably want our smartest people working on our hardest problems. And it's not obvious how to incentivize them apart, apart from requiring requiring that they be saints. Well, and I don't think well that's the, yeah, that's the, you said the market, but, and he, but he also, when he said the market, the best one, he's, he said, it's just, it's better than all the other shitty incentive systems. So, I mean, I'll be a little bit fair to him there, but Russell Brand is fucking freaking out right now. <laughs> I think we're, I think saints are in sh short supply. Because we are not organizing society to generate them. Now, I would say that if we prioritize materialistic models, materialistic rewards, and incentivization models that are predicated on that modality. Wait, isn't this guy throwing a big old fit about being fucking demonetized right now? Then we will be doubling down on this false like progressivist and myth that's driving us ever further towards the kind of apocalypse that both of us, I think, sense is coming in, in different ways. You for this set of reasons, me for that set of reasons. And I would say that, you know, well, let's face it, the, the main reason that we're having this conversation, Sam, other than we, both guys that like having a chat and we love the jujitsu and we can handle a, a, a gentle quarrel, uh, is to talk about your Waking Up app. Now, what is the well, point? This is as good a place as any to put a put, put a fucking fork in the podcast version of the show. I think during the post game, we are going to watch the rest of this <clears throat> because I want to see them like because they haven't really talked about the vaccine, and I want to see them fucking. I want to see how this goes with the vaccine because there's I'm of two minds here. I think Sam either went on here because he had like nothing to do and he's a rich guy, or he's trying to kind of get back in the great good graces of these sort of IDW adjacent contrarian by reflex sort of people because he's like far less popular than he once was um i don't know the answer there um but podcast listeners i gotta let you go um but patreon.com slash echoplex or eplex.store join at a five dollar level or higher and this will be the members version of this will show up in your inbox and it'll show up a day early a day before the podcast comes out also, twitch.tv slash Echoplex Media. Uh, I don't know. Follow us. Watch our other shows. We got great shows. Um, and we also got great music. Speaking of which, here's uh, Boomers by Periscope. I'm change the color of the lights in here and uh, change the content of my beverage. And we'll be right back with Red Light.
every Saturday is Catterday on Echoplex Media, and not only are we posting fucking cats, we invite all content creators to join our open panel. Visit echoplexmedia.com slash panel to learn how to join. Every third Saturday is Operation Catterday, where we cover this week and last year and play the best clips from the cast of conspiracy characters that now space has learned to loathe. The show starts at 8 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. Find our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com.